0: Good morning, church. Oh, there's just so much I want to say, but I don't I don't want to cut into the preaching time. I'm glad you're here and it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. We have a few announcements, but One is the air conditioner is a little wonky this morning. It was 87 degrees in here yesterday, uh, and Dwayne came over and fixed it, but in a way that it's going to run. Ladies, if you're getting cold, have no fear. Wayne is going to preach hard and hot today. Um, But I'm going to turn off the auxiliary in a little bit because it's too noisy but that's just so we can stay ahead of the heat. A few announcements, this is the last Sunday for special missions offering, so if you want to contribute to AIT missions, just make a note of it, and our offering box is in the back. We don't pass a plate. And then on Wednesday during our, our regular Zoom meeting, Wayne's gonna do a recap. So come with your questions, comments, It's to, have some discussion also after the morning service we have our fellowship meal over in the fellowship hall if you didn't bring anything that's okay just bring an appetite it's international food and i thought i was either going to bring viana sausages or french fries but my bride talked me out of it and men's bible study is going through first peter now i'm not sure if you already did one week or if Uh, It's going to start, but in the adult ministry training class, a.k.a. Sunday school, we've been going through 1 Peter, but not in a real depth kind of fashion on on every topic. So the men's Bible study is chewing on it even more, and I, I hear it's really good. That's all my announcements.
1: Our gospel reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 38 through 9, 1 through 13. For whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he, can, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, Make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down out of the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves. Gracious Father, we're indeed thankful that you did send your son. Lord, we just pray that you'd help us not to be ashamed, but to be a bold witness of what he's done for us, Lord, and of the righteousness that he stands for and the holiness that he demands of us. Father, we just uh, pray this morning that you would encourage our spirits and build us up in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Good morning. Psalm 135 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, as his own possession. Let's sing this morning. Let's stand and take our hymn books and turn to number one. And we'll sing, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. fifty six Immortal Invisible God only wise first Timothy one seventeen says Now to the king eternal, immortal invisible be honor and glory forever. 5 345 Holy Bible Book Divine All scripture is given by inspiration of God 2 Timothy 3:16
3: Morning, Good morning church. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Acts chapter 12 through 13 verse 12. Um, we've just come off of the death of Herod following the miraculous rescue of Peter and what we see here is a small story of a confrontation. Uh, Saul, who you may, you may know, and Barnabas are summoned to preach the word, explicitly to preach the word to a high Roman official. And there is a false prophet there to oppose them. And we see how Paul, carried along by the Holy Spirit, deals with this situation. It reminds us of our obligation to in some situations quite forcefully confront evil yes. Yes. Uh, and especially when that evil purports to speak on behalf of our God right. there is a time for gentleness uh, and speaking the truth in love and there is a time for this what Paul does and scripture tells us he's carried along by the Holy Spirit in doing this so we should pay attention. It it reminds me of several passages of scripture. I'll, I'll, I'll share only a couple. First, um, Ephesians 5, 11 through 12 says, have, no, has, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Yeah. Psalm 94, 16 says, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will stand for me against those who practice iniquity? And we read, of course... In the specific context of church discipline, for those who purport to be a brother in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12, it says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Um, Our society tells us that we should judge not. And that's preached as a universal truth outside, certainly, and sometimes inside the church. Um, But it's not true. And we see how Paul bears that out here. So let's read. This is the word of God. And this is page 921 in your pew Bible. Acts twelve twenty four. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Manaan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived, At Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of god but elimas the magician for that is the meaning of his name opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith but saul who was also called paul filled with the holy spirit looked intently at him and said you son of the devil you enemy of all righteousness Believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example of strength, of courage, of submission to the Holy Spirit in those times when you will call us to confront evil, we pray that you will give us wisdom to recognize those situations, to know when it is with gentleness that we must speak the truth, and to know when, in submission to the Holy Spirit, we must quite forcefully confront evil. In those times, Father, we pray that you will give us strength, give us courage. Most importantly, that you will help us to submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will bless this time together, that you will bless the further reading of your word. Bless Pastor as he opens your word for us. Give us ears to hear. We pray, Father, that you will bless this offering, that you will multiply it and use it to further your kingdom. We pray that as we go from here and partake of the meal, that you will bless our fellowship and bless the food to our bodies and ultimately our bodies to your service. And we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: Thanks, girls, for playing. Oh love divine. Amen. Let's all stand once more and take our hymn books and turn to number four hundred and forty-seven, four forty-seven, and we'll sing it is well with my soul. Blessed is the man who endures trials, because he will receive the crown of life. James 112.
4: doubt it's going to take me a minute to catch my breath. (laughs) What great thoughts of worship, from the reading of God's Word to the prayers, to the hymns we're able to sing together to be reminded of the glory of Christ, to hear of the love divine expressed in the divine language that God has given us through the Beautiful instruments and melody, and thank you, ladies, for leading us uh, in that way. It's well with my soul. And that's what matters. Because you know Christ. that transfiguration that Jerry read, I was thinking of that. a lot of people really get confused about that. You will not see death until you see the glory of God manifested immediately after you have the transfiguration of Christ his glory is revealed they got all excited about everything else and the father says look at him look at Christ you understand that's really all that matters and I don't even know if I'll get through the sermon but so if I don't I'll tell you at some point I'm gonna say that Christ is the panacea it's the remedy for everything okay look to Christ and this is why we exalt Christ. We're going to exalt him in his word as the preacher of Hebrews continues in chapter 8 where we have arrived. And it's going to take a little while to get through. I already put part two today and I'll be more creative on titles I'm sure in the future but because um, there'll be more than two parts. We'll just have to see. But my goal really is not to create a homiletical masterpiece. I have one goal, and that is to preach Christ. To draw you to the beauty of His perfections. And pray by the Holy Spirit, might illuminate your heart to get a, uh, a more fuller appreciation Of who our mediator is. Words cannot adequately express. But the Holy Spirit can take that information, that proclamation, that truth to our very heart. And I pray that you have prepared yourself to be able to hear the word of Christ today. It is a saving word, it is a great promise. And we're going to look at this promise revealed to us in a covenant called the New Covenant. The preacher of Hebrews is dealing with an audience who are steeped in tradition and culture, which is understandable. That's not a criticism. They hear the preaching of Christ, and they repent and confess Him as Lord. And yet, the the weight and the pull of their own ideas and traditions, ideology, the culture, you know, whatever else is doing, whatever else is saying, it, it, it's drawing away from Christ. And the preacher is proclaiming Christ, that he would be superior in their particular instance to, to everything that they, that they had and everything that he, they had known. It's far better. And he makes that argument and he continues to, to do that. Jesus Christ is, after all, God. God incarnate. He's come in the flesh. He's come to 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 actually die and not make some sort of ceremonial aspect, but actually to to die, to to make propitiation for our sin. That is to 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 appease, to actually appease the the justice and the righteousness of God, the, the wrath that would righteously respond to our evil, Jesus Christ actually paid for that sin. And beyond that, he he triumphs over death in his resurrection because the Holy One cannot receive corruption. It, it's just, there can be no other way this to be actually accomplished. Someone to function as a mediator who is actually on both sides, if you will, one that is acceptable to God, because he's God, one that is acceptable to man because he's man. This is just more than we can imagine. And no other religious system has any ideas of that, because they have falsehoods in ways that will not lead to life and flourishing. Jesus Christ ascends to, to heaven. Taking his seat of authority, presenting that very propitiation for our sin in his own blood, he stands in 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 seated, if you will, in that that vision is seated in in a power and authority in which he is right now. I don't care what authorities might say about whatever. And as Ethan read, yes, they're all subject to Christ, whether they know it or not. And one day they will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, either either in the wrath that is displayed as Jesus justly unfolds that or in his gracious mercy as we are, have been granted life in him. As a sovereign authority, even now, we, we, the only reason you can go in, and make these prayers that we make on behalf of one another and whatever else that might be going on is because there is one in heaven, Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man, our high priest who is forever living and even right now at this moment mediating on our behalf. I pray for you and I hope you pray for me and we should. But do you understand Christ is praying for you? He's mediating on behalf of you, and he knows more than you even know about yourself. What a great privilege it is to be in Christ. And so to walk away from that and to to go to some sort of cultural-driven religion, some cultic system, any, any system that is outside of what Christ has declared to be true, which is actually true, is a great peril. And the preacher feels that because that's going to be a way that leads to death, not life. There are many roads and there are many paths, but there's only one that leads to life. It's narrow You can't take all your baggage with you. In fact, you can take none. You just look to Christ and Christ alone. He has paved the way, and it is only through him, the way, the truth, and the life. These Hebrews confess Christ as Lord, but the preacher fears that Maybe that might have just been superficial in some aspects, maybe superstitious in others, and whatever might have motivated. So he asked them to examine their own heart, as which we all should do. He asked them to examine their heart because it's great, it, you have a, potentially a great danger of leaving the faith. And so far in this message, we're at chapter 8, but he's already warned them in chapter 2, He's already warned them in chapter 3. He's stopped to warn them again, once again, in chapter 4 and chapter 6. He's going to have two more warning passages before we finish in chapter 10 and 12. This is a critical truth. Jesus is better than anything else. And anything else you put in his place is simply an idol something false. Something will not lead to, to life. We, we have reverence for various things, and they did. He's already pointed out the reverence for the prophets, but there's a better prophet that has come. The, the reverence for, for angel, angels, but, but Christ created them. For Moses, this, this guy, great leader, who led him out of bondage who functioned as a mediator. He doesn't compare to the mediation done by, by Christ. Is not only a mediator, but he's also the surety. It, it was Aaron who provided the symbolic propitiation for their sins, but it's Christ who actually did it. He's a better surety. He's a better mediator, if you will. He had this beautiful temple. But it doesn't hold a candle to the glory of Christ. They had this whole priesthood, but it's temporal, and it's insufficient. The glory of Jesus Christ outshines them all. They are but shadows to his brilliance. And so this preacher then wants to emphasize what they're neglecting potentially, and which they might walk away and that is a promise that God had made expressed in what we call a covenant it's the new covenant we want to unpack some of that concepts of this new covenant jesus inaugurated that called all of us to it if you remember the night before he would sacrifice his life for our sin he took the elements of the Passover, which reminded them, part of their tradition, they did for years and years, and it reminded them of God's deliverance of his people, in an, the ethnic people of Israel. And Jesus takes two elements from that table and said, from now on, this is what you're going to remember. The, the, the bread represents my, my life, which is most important. You need to eat it. You need to be consumed by it. It needs to be everything. And then there's this cup. It's it's the blood. It is the blood of Christ. And he holds it up and he says, "In if you remember, we'll do communion next week, I guess." Um, and so think about this: when Christ would hold this cup, and he said, "This cup," and you go look it up in. in um, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25, this cup is the, what? The new covenant in my blood. And then he says, do this, drink this, in what? In remembrance of me. It's Jesus Christ who inaugurates this, this new covenant. And we want to unfold the idea of that, specifically the, the new covenant. The new covenant in Jesus' blood. What is it about? What does it mean? How will these blessings be bestowed and to whom are they bestowed to? I mentioned last week, I just did a quick overview so that you would understand some idea of covenant, when I mean, that name is used, the word covenant, should I say. Essentially, in the Bible, it's used to explain a contractual agreement between ultimately God and man in, in, in that reference. And we listed five that were key in the Scriptures. We call them biblical covenants because they're explicitly stated. You could deduce others, perhaps, and there's others that are mentioned, but these, these are big ones. And the first one was the Noahic, if you remember, where God puts his weapon of war, at a bow, symbolically, in the sky to remind us of his grace and mercy. He promised that there will be day and night, seed time and harvest because he's a gracious God. And the reason you woke up and had breath today is because of his mercy and grace. It's new every day because great is his faithfulness. and This is what he's promised. There will be a time of judgment, but it will be the absolute end. Between now and then, today is the day of salvation. He is a gracious and merciful God even though people misappropriate the very symbols of his mercy. The Abrahamic covenant, if you remember, was a promise that was given that was unconditional to a specific group where God called a pagan and said, yeah, I'm going to make you a God follower. God did it all. And in you, all nations will be blessed. Genesis 12. It's going to permeate the whole of the, the scriptures and it's going to be ultimately fulfilled in this last one we'll talk about is the new covenant. And Just to compare the covenant that's being talked about here to the Hebrews, what he's emphasizing is the one that was on their mind and that they dealt with, the one with all the symbols, with all the, the priests and the temple and all of that, that was called the Mosaic covenant. It was an agreement that God had made with his people it said, and it was conditioned, condition on their obedience. The previous two, the Noahic and the Abrahamic, was not. God said, I will do this, and this will be accomplished. I'm going to do it. Here in the Mosaic Covenant, he says, if you do this, then you will be blessed. If you don't do this, you will be cursed. It had a point and a purpose, and we unfolded that last time to ultimately... To lead to uh, for us to recognize that we can't keep the law, we are lawbreakers, and what people typically do then is just redefine the law, make it different, make it somehow that they can achieve it. Well, that's how it was, but this is how it is. No, it isn't. God doesn't change, He can't change, He's God. Well, would He change too, couldn't change to something better couldn't change to something worse. He wouldn't be God otherwise. So God has established that. The the ceremonial aspects of it certainly were changed and that's what Christ is getting to. The morality that it communicated is not. There's a Davidic covenant. That's a promise that out of that ethnic Israel That there will be a ruler that comes, a king of glory, from their lineage and from their line, who will reign forever. And I hope you know who that is. He's on the throne right now. He is reigning forever and ever. And we will see him come in his great glory. This new covenant, then, is the one that Christ has inaugurated. God deals with mankind in different ways at different times. We call those dispensations. Economies, it's translated sometimes in the New Testament. Remember the book of Hebrews opened up that way in the past. God did this, but now he's doing this. So God doesn't always work with mankind in exactly the same way. And now it is under this new covenant the new, the covenant is just simply, I would say it's a, like a revelation of God's decree by way of promise. God says this is what's going to happen, and he lets us know. And these are implemented in various periods of time. The period of time now is the new covenant. So again, you see the weight when that preacher is preaching is... What are you, you're, going, you're going to go back to the old? The new has been inaugurated. The, the new implies that there is an old and that the old is, is done. Now it is the new covenant and his emphasis here, as he stated in our text in verse 6, it's better. And that's an understatement. So we'll unpack why it's better. Let's read the text. Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll go ahead and begin in verse 6. And for context, we'll read it through the end of the chapter. Hebrews 8, 6. But as it is, Christ obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. And it's speaking of the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. As the covenant, that's the new covenant, he mediates is better. Better. Why? Since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. He finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Here he's quoting from the Old Testament, and oh, we'll look at that in a moment. He says, I will establish, this is a prophetic word, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But they didn't continue my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. What is it? I will put my laws under their mind and write their, them on their hearts. And I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach each one his neighbor and his, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one Obsolete. What is becoming obsolete, is growing old, it's ready to vanish away. Let us pray. Father, I pray that to some degree we would see the excellency of this new covenant in Christ's blood today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. The key message here, if you note verse 6, this is a better covenant he says it's better in that it is it is more excellent that is it's it's distinct from any others it's greater in quality and superiority he'll unpack that in as the text continues it, it's better it's better in that it is distinctive it is more suitable Think of the idea of durability. The, the old covenant would end. This one never ends. It's new in the sense that it is original. It's not been seen before. And now it is being made known. It fulfills the prophetic word. And it is better in that it is, as the preacher Proclaims it is based on better promises. Those promises you're going to find in verses 10 through 12. All of those aspects of these better promises. In fact, we'll go ahead and, with the time, we'll see what we can get through, but we'll look at this aspect from the prophet of Jer- Jeremiah. And I'm going to look at chapter 33, 31, mostly, but. If you want to drop back to 29 in Jeremiah and hold your place here in Hebrews 8. There's much to say about this better promise, this better covenant. Today, I just want to look at one aspect of it, given our time, and that is who's going to receive it. In our text, it says that this covenant is one that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The house of Israel and Judah after those days. After those days, what days is he talking about specifically? And you see that this promised covenant is for the house of Israel and Judah. Now, can you imagine, again, the audience to which this is first addressed? We will get to the application to us as well, by the way, hopefully. But, but first you've got to recognize the author's intent here and his audience. He has a bunch of Hebrews, hence the title of the book, right? He has a bunch of Jews who are ready to, to, to leave Christ and go back to Judaism. And so he points out that there is a prophetic word that says that after these days, I'm going to do something that is different than what you had experienced. That difference is, and he expands it to the house of Israel and Judah. After those days refers to the time of exile. That's the context in which this is given in Jeremiah 31, I told you to reach back to 29, but before we get there, let me just mention too, by the way, in the text of Scripture, and this is where people can be confused quite a bit, and I'll try to simplify it the best I can, when, when Israel is used, it it's primarily refers to an ethnic people, primarily. Jacob, if you remember, was called Israel. And his children were essentially the nation of Israel. In time, there became known as the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom was then called Israel and the Southern Kingdom called Judah. In the Northern Kingdom, in 722, which encompassed most of the tribes, because of their idolatry and their rank disobedience to God, God wiped them out through the instrumentality of the Assyrians in 722 years before Christ was born. They were devastated. A few migrated south for protection in Judah, but most of them were wiped out, integrated within that culture. It was a devastating judgment, which they deserved because of their disobedience. The southern kingdom, then, which remained, was called Judah, and now in our text in Jeremiah, Judah is about ready to get totally wiped out as well. Judah had a few kings that honored God and wanted to do the right thing, for sure, but the culture and the country was still rife with primarily idolatry, among other things. By the way, if you worship anything other than God, who he is and manifested to us, as we now know through Jesus Christ our Lord, you're worshiping an idol, whether it's yourself or some object or some other religious system. And we can learn a lot from that. They they were on the verge of absolute destruction. Jeremiah's writing somewhere around 597. We call this the first deportation from Judah. Babylon was going to annihilate the city. In 586, that beautiful temple, Solomon's temple, would be utterly destroyed. They would go into captivity for 70 years. And the only reason they got out of captivity... It's because God's amazing grace, and by the way, just as a hint, it isn't just for them, it was for everyone. God had promised at the very beginning of the curse, in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and thy seed, and that there would rise from the, the woman a seed who will crush the very head of Satan. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. This is in the curse to Satan. God is just revealing what he has planned all along. There would be a seed. This is why we know that Judah was remained. Because a seed would come. A Messiah. A Christ. Jesus. And through him, as under the Abrahamic covenant... All nations, then, will be blessed. It is through Christ. But this is a dark time for Judah. Israel has been wiped out. That's the northern kingdom. Now Judah is about ready to be wiped out. And, And the way they typically did it back then was to initially take the best and brightest from the land, try to retrain them tried to indoctrinate them, tried to brainwash them, we might say into the, you know the conquering country 's uh, ideas and ideology, and then use those retrained people, repurposed people then to manage the the land that had been conquered that's that 's the plan you can read about that in in Daniel, in any case, so this is the time here and it's really a time of hopelessness, a time of great peril. Because they already know what happened to their sister, Israel, and now it's about to happen to them. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And you can hear that in the tone of his message. But he was given a word from the Lord. Notice verse 1 if you're in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter of Jeremiah, the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is the first deportation. So Jeremiah is beginning to write. They're greatly discouraged. They know what's coming. They're in slavery and physical bondage. Their country and countrymen are on the verge of being destroyed. And here's the message, a message of hope, if you drop down to verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. See, God had made a covenant, and he would do it. It's on his own. He has promised redemption. How would redemption come through that people if that people were to be utterly destroyed? It wouldn't. But because God is God, and all he's doing in his covenant is just revealing what his decreed promise is, it's just going to unfold whether Babylon wants to comply or not. That's the reality of it. God is in absolute charge of all things. He made a promise in the sense that he disclosed his decreed will and it and, and to us it it, it, form, it is a form of a promise, a covenant, if you will, an agreement. And that's where this verse 11 comes from that a lot of people put on their wall but have no idea what it really means, the significance of it. It isn't really ultimately talking about a temporal reality of of you getting out of Dodge and, and, and doing all right. It's about his redemption of mankind through Israel, through Judah. He says, I know the plans for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. They are in a hopeless environment. But this is God's plan for those he would redeem. Not, not a temporal, ultimate thing. This is uh, to speaking beyond that to an eternal redemption. Well, what hope would they have? They, their hope is this, grace and Mercy. It is the promise that is given what? The promise, the Abrahamic covenant for it to be fulfilled. What, What promise did God already make to these people? You will be a great nation. And from you then all nations would be blessed. This is a hope of redemption, regardless of whatever circumstance they might be in. This is what God has promised to his people. And, and listen to how it unfolds in verse 12 in Jeremiah 29. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And God hears his people. It's specifically for these that he had made this covenant promise with. And what are they going to do when in their great time of despair and hopelessness, in the time of potentially from what they can see is utter destruction, you're going to come and pray to me and I'm going to hear you. You'll seek me and you will find me. You know why you find God? It's because he allows you to find him. It is his grace. It is his mercy. It is his blessing. And that is what comes out. And he describes it when you seek me with all your heart. That's your passion. How, How does that come out? From really trying hard to seek God with all your heart? No, this is God's work within the heart. He says, then I'm going to be found by you. Because God knew where you were all the time. You just didn't know where he was. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God had given them judgment, not punitive, but corrective. And this is what God does with his people. Different times in different ways, dispensations. Hence, but but next. Nevertheless, it certainly applies. This is this is who God is and what He does. The idolatry in itself leads to death and destruction. It will not lead to life. It doesn't lead to flourishing. It doesn't lead to fulfillment. And so God doesn't leave them alone because of His. Manifest great love, instead, he brings about discipline, in this case, a nation that is purged then from idolatry. Uh, Historically, essentially, they didn't have, after the release from Babylon, by the way, that pretty much did away with all the idol worship, at least externally. Now, get to chapter thirty. Because I, I think it's just important to look at this background. We'll, we'll see at least that we'll have a root there because the, the audience to which he is preaching to about I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, th- they would have been really steeped in this truth. They really would have understood the historical background and the prophet Jeremiah and what God has promised. They might not be remembering it at the moment. He's refreshing their memory and so I think we should refresh ours. Look at chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, 30 verse 1, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, this is divine inspiration from God, Behold, the days are coming, declares declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. I already told you that Israel, in this when it's compared this way, Israel and Judah, it's a way just to describe the whole nation. Before the kingdoms were split, you could just talk about Israel if you wanted to. But now, when he's being more precise, contextually here, he's talking about all of them. So I thought 722... Northern Israel was destroyed, they were, and they no longer could keep up with their lineage. In the southern kingdom, they could, by the way, which was actually really important because the way, you know, Matthew opens up and gives us this uh, genealogy, they knew what the genealogy was because there was an absolute record there to demonstrate that that this one Jesus would have the lineage both on the on his uh, stepfather and his mother's side to have the right to be on the throne, and so God preserved that. But the northern kingdom, their records are essentially gone. How, how will how will they be restored? Well, because many of them were were brought back down into the southern kingdom that fled. As the northern got destroyed, they didn't know who they were, but God knows who they are. Can I tell you this? That God knows his people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every land. And and beloved, you, you may be out there proclaiming the glory and truth of Christ, and you don't know whose are his, but he does. Just preach the word. Proclaim the truth. God will do what it takes to... Awaken the heart and change the affections, something we can't actually do in reality. He can change the heart of man. And, th- and that's the blessing of the new covenant, and, it, and it's described that way. And you can sh- flip over to chapter 31, and I'll just um, jump down to verse 31. And it's an easy one for us to remember. 31, 31. Because here's the prophecy of the new covenant referenced in Hebrews chapter 8, a prophecy that they would have been very familiar with, and the circumstances surrounding which we just gave you. 31, 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Have you seen it before? Better believe when he said that, the preacher in Hebrews to that Hebrew audience, they they knew exactly what he was talking about, a promise that to come, a promise really that transcends a a physical restoration, which would happen and demonstrate a, a far greater truth of a spiritual redemption. That, that's what it points to. That, that's what the symbols and shadows have always pointed to. What, what's that covenant like? Well, what's that expression of the new covenant? Well, it's not like the one that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And, and that's precisely what happened. God goes in and rescues his people physically from their bondage. It's like a a parent who grabs the child by the hand and leads them out of danger, right? That's what you would do. Do you see what spiritual truth that's actually communicating? This is what God does. All of that reality symbolizes the truth of what God does in redeeming his people. It points to it. He gave them then a covenant. And what did they do? They broke it. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, and and the imagery there is they broke their vows, committed adultery. Even though they did that, he says... I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. After what? Their days of exile. There would be a future day in which I will make a covenant with them. What will that covenant look like? And, 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 and listen to the phraseology here. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Here is, can you see why it's so much better? They were used to the covenant that they got, but they disobeyed. It was written in stone, it was written in tablets, not just to keep it and preserve it, but it also demonstrates a, a distinction between that which is written on the heart and that which is written on tablets of stone. It's an internal rather than an external. It isn't that anything is wrong with all those external regulations. The problem is, I have a great fault because I can't keep them. When I look at them, I just pretend like I do keep them. But in reality, if you probe a little further, you recognize, no, I've never loved God with all my heart, all my might, all my soul, all the time. And then further reflection, I think, I I probably don't do that at all to, to any great degree, maybe for a... A second or two, maybe, and again, maybe not. And so them declared guilty. And the new covenant has a much better promise here, where instead of a heart of stone, which something is chiseled into, something dead, there's something alive, a new disposition a new affection, a new set of desires, a new direction. It it, it doesn't mean this person now will will never struggle with sin or never um, fail in any way. It's that there is some newness of life that has a desire to live. And that's one of the ways you can examine your own heart. Do do I recognize my, my failure to follow God's moral precepts, and do I come to Him and confess and and receive forgiveness? Do do I desire that? Is, Is that the desire of my heart? It's a work of God's grace in the heart. It's not giving you tablets of stone to walk around and check off whether you kept this one or kept that one because in reality you hadn't kept any of them perfectly. You failed and just failing in one of them is failing in all of them. He says, graciously I'll be their God. What an amazing statement that God would actually embrace those who are in rebellion against Him that are not worthy For him to be their God? He says, and they shall be my people. This communicates a a deep personal relationship between God and man. They didn't know precisely how that would be accomplished and fulfilled. But the idea of it, they certainly knew. They knew that God would be their God. And if God is their God, what, 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 you know... What what real authority, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or anyone else, um, would have over them? If God is our God, I mean, all they could do is temporal issues, but God is in control. The God, the Maker of heaven and earth—that's what He's saying. And beyond that, that they will be mine; they will be my people. A personal relationship. With God. They didn't know how it would work out. In time, Jesus would say, This is the blood of, of the new covenant. <laughs> it would be through God. God. It would be through Christ, the mediator between God and man, that any of this could be ever fully accomplished. And I can almost see those people hearing this message for the first time. It's starting to dawn on them. Oh, I get it. This is going to be fulfilled by Christ. So, so, so why, why would I go? Go back to that. It's it's not better. It's lesser. I will, he says. He declares this, and we'll break this down later. But no, where it says, and no one shall, verse twenty four, and no longer shall they each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother. Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. It, what he's saying there, and just the highlight is that. This is not knowing information. This is now knowing it in reality. Okay? He, he's not getting to the, the idea of, of just facts. He's talking about faith. He's talking about know in the sense of really believe. Again, how does that come about? Through his divine work. You know, uh, I can give you all the facts. You could look up the facts on the internet. You can get it from Wikipedia. What is? How do you get saved? And you know, use an AI program. It'll give you all the steps. But grace, faith, comes from God. It's through hearing of the Word of Christ. It's through a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, who makes you alive. And changes the disposition from death to life. And in, in, in that, we can't, we can't do it. We, we can just be instruments of that. Like a physician might be instrumental in the delivering of of a new child, um, a newborn. But he doesn't give them life. God does. And spiritually, God does too. And this is... His divine work, and he's talking about a a, a massive salvation. And what does it look like? I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the forgiveness that God has promised. They had great iniquity. It deserved banishment. It deserved judgment. It 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 deserved a total annihilation. But God, in His grace, Determines to save a remnant and he will forgive. To remember simply means that God doesn't have the ability to recollect. It means that he is not going to hold it against you. We try not to hold against people offenses. We don't do that great of a job about it because sometimes we remind them <laughs> about what we're forgiving them of or what they did. Not trying to step on anybody's toes, other than mine. But you understand, God isn't that way. He never holds it against you, because He held it against Christ, and He already died. Atonement is made. The appeasement is done. The per- propitiation for our sin—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's accomplished. How certain is any of this? Well, listen in the remainder of this section here, verse 35. And what a beautiful illustration. Thus says the Lord who gives sun for light by day and fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night who stirs up the sea so that waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. And thus says the Lord, if heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off the offspring of Israel for, they, for all that they have done, declares the Lord. He, he's giving you a great analogy, isn't it? And why I often say, you see the daylight seasons, or even standing by the ocean, which I like to do, and see that wave after wave after wave. It's a reminder of God's promise. I may have to explore this to a greater degree later, but let me try just to go briefly then to make an application. This is for Israel and Judah specifically, and God makes that promise. But how does that affect you? Because most of you are not Jews, I guess. You're not Hebrews. So that's good for them. So how does this matter to me? If you remember, Jesus addressed the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. She she was part of that Northern Kingdom, the Samaria. And what happened later on, they kind of many of that area kind of created their own religion. That was kind of half true and half not. Had their own worship center, had their own books, they would just use the first 5 books of the Bible. And their own interpretation and understanding of it. And she considered that tradition, that religious system, just as equal to what God had taught in the fullness of his word. And Jesus' in response to her in John 4, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation of the Jews. See, God has always promised to from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15 to, to the promises of Abraham, to the promises that, that were made to, uh, for King David and, and forward, and then ultimately in the New Covenant, this is the only way that salvation would occur. It's through Christ. It's through a Jew. His name is Jesus Christ. So what happens if you're not part of that ethnic reality? Do you remember the Abrahamic covenant? It says, in you, what? All nations will be blessed. It is through your union with Christ in Christ alone, through that Jew, that the promised blessing then is given to us. I'll give you a couple of texts and we'll have to finish up with time. Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Uniquely, those that are, this is the expansion of the the new covenant. The old covenant was very restrictive, but the new covenant would fulfill that aspect of blessings to all and particularly to those that were not of those original covenants directly. And here Paul will explain that to the church of Galatia in verse 7 of chapter 3. He said, "Then know then that it is of it is those of faith then who are sons of Abraham." Yes, he had physical sons, but they were pointing to the reality of the fulfillment of this promise and the blessing that would come for those that are of faith, whether ethnically connected or not. And the scripture foreseen that, um, and. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So don't take my word for it. Take Paul's, (laughs) an inspired writer from God. And that's how that blessing would come. It is through The Jews, it is fulfillment of this promise given unconditionally to Abraham that God would accomplish through Jesus Christ. And now that mystery is being revealed or being made known. Drop down to verse 29. This covenant is fulfilled for those that are in Christ's. And he would say in verse 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are, look, Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. That's how you get the blessings. It is through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came and fulfilled all and accomplished all. And it is in Christ then that all those promises and all those blessings are received, ultimately through faith, whether Jew or Gentile. It has always been faith. I'll give you one more text. if you, you can listen or turn, whatever, I'll just give you the first reference. Second Corinthians 1:20. For all the promises of God, read all those promises made in contract form even, the covenants, all of them. All of them are fulfilled by Christ. It says, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It is through Christ. It is through Christ that all of them are fulfilled. It is through Christ who is holding back judgment, patiently waiting till all will come to repentance and faith. It is through Christ that all nations then, all ethnicities would be blessed in Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that who fulfilled all righteousness of that Mosaic covenant, who wasn't cursed, who was blessed, and in him we would receive those blessed promises, the promise of blessing. It is in Christ that who would fulfill the rule and reign of authority as king, and it is in Christ that we receive the blessings of the new covenant. And what are those blessings? I will forgive your iniquity and remember your sin no more. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for the blessings that you have granted to us in Christ and Christ alone. I pray for myself and I pray for your people that will be focused increasingly on that aspect. And as our memory verse and meditation verse for this week announces for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I pray that we would truly live for Christ today. I pray in Christ's name. name. Amen. Beloved, let me give you a minute to think on these things by yourself. Um, If you have sin to confess, you have none to confess to me but to Christ alone because he is the one who can forgive you and restore you. So go to him, respond to him in any way that he has spoken to you. Think on his glory now. Take a moment. praise your holy name for sending the son to live, to die, to rise, to send, and to rule. I pray that he would indeed do so in our hearts as we recognize his mediation on our behalf, not just this day, but every day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jerry's going to come to lead us in the doxology. I'm not going to change it up. Isn't that the one we're doing? Okay which that's a beautiful thing to think about God's glory and grace. And if you haven't taught it to your kids, uh, for those that you have children or maybe even grandchildren, it's a great one to sing in the car on the way to church. Some of you do that, uh, sing different songs. But this is a, a, a brief one and one that uh, is easy to remember to think on his glory as we spoke about today. Let's rise and sing as Jerry comes to lead us.
1: 668 in your hymnals if you don't know it. 668. gracious father we're indeed thankful for your mercy and grace to us this day lord and for this opportunity we have to now to be able to get together into fellowship around the food that you provided father we do pray that you would bless those who prepared the food and bless the food to our bodies and now finally brothers rejoice aim for restoration comfort one another agree with one another live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. For the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Yes, missed <laughs>